Seacoast Church began 28 years ago. That's 28 years of helping people find God, grow their faith, discover their purpose, and make a difference. A lot has changed in nearly three decades, but some things remain the same. We are still committed to serving every person who walks through our doors. We are still committed to being active members of our communities, our cities. How will you be a part of this story? Let's take a look at how you can make a difference. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from one of the venues here, the uh, warehouse or chapel, and also online and uh, at our off-site campuses. We're glad that you guys are along today. Uh, what a weekend. My goodness. I'm, I'm in prayer uh, for Clemson fans. And uh, <clears throat> if you're a South Carolina fan, we just don't expect to win. It's easier. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, well. Somebody told me uh, between services that the only undefeated team in South Carolina is the Citadel. So. <laughs> Citadel has a chance to cheer. All right, good. I guess there was an election this, this week. Um, speaking of football, the uh, coach at Alabama, Nick Saban, uh, only guy in America, they asked him, uh, what did you think about the election? He said, well, there, there was an election this week? That's focus, that's focus. But uh, yeah, there was an election this week and I talked to several people uh, this week. Uh, some people are just really excited. They feel like the country was going the wrong direction and they feel good. There are others who, I talked to somebody who said they went into the poll booth and voted and um, almost felt sick because of the vote that they made but they felt like that the party that they voted for, not the candidate necessarily, represented values that they thought were important. I talked to somebody else, several somebodies who are devastated. It's like, didn't see it coming, voted for uh, Hillary, and are in various degrees of um, almost uh, disbelief, uh, down to disappointment, to despair, feeling all kinds of things. How do you process that? Then I talked to other people who didn't vote, said I didn't like either one of them, didn't feel like I could do that, and so I didn't vote. And here's the interesting thing is all of those people are sitting around you right now in this church. And uh, how would you like to be the pastor of this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is my privilege. <laughs> It is my privilege. It really is my privilege. This is the kind of church, and I'll talk to you about it in just a few minutes, that we dreamed of. And, um, and so today, you know, some of you are ready just to move on. We're not going to. We're going to next week. But I thought, we need to process this. We gotta talk about it. Where is the church in this? Our country is more divided right now, I think, than any time in history. I mean, you've got an election that is within a few hundred thousand votes. Uh, you've got just division everywhere, uh, racially, every, everything else, uh, more divided than it's ever been. Here's the question, is what is God saying to the church right now? And I honestly feel like that this is a time when the church can make a difference, when the church can make a major difference, when we can be a group of people that the world can look at and say there's hope, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. And so I wanna talk just for a few minutes about that 
uh, today. Now, before I do, I want to talk to you about Barnes. You say, I didn't see Barnes on the ballot. Well, that's not what it was. I want to talk to you about like barns that are out in fields. Do you ever, do you ever see those? I mean, do you ever, I love barns. I just do. I, I love old barns. Have you seen old barns? Debbie and I, a lot of times when we're driving, we won't stay on the interstate. We like to get on the back roads. That's just what we like to do. It takes longer. It's okay. We've got plenty of time in life. And we like to just go, and we'll see these old barns. You know the ones that look like, in fact, I was driving, but this is terrible. I'm just opening it up. You're going to think I'm just a real weirdo, and I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me. It's just who I am. And I was looking at one the other day, and I thought, you know, 50 years from now, this won't be here, and my grandkids will be... Uh, uh, well, I, it won't be as rich for them. They won't have seen some of these old barns that I see. And so what we do is we'll stop and I'll say, this barn needs a picture taken. And so I'll go, you know, take, Debbie puts up with this, has put up with it for 40 years. I've been run out of, uh, uh, off a piece of land by farmers before. Uh, I don't care. I love barns. And so two years ago, uh, Debbie and I sold our house that was, close here to the church, and we moved into the country, and guess what I built? A barn, that's right. Now, it's basically an oversized garage. It's a small barn. I'll show you pictures of it. Take a look at this. This is the framing of it. It's called a monitor barn. It's got a certain look to it. I know barns. Listen, I could bore you with barns, but anyway, look at the next one. This is like, it sits on a pond, and so it's from a distance. Now, I wanna show you the finished product. This is so cool. Look at that. Oh. They're pretty. That looks like a Rockwell painting, doesn't it? And, and if you look at the little, see the little yellow light in the window? What that is, is that's a living quarters. We built a little living quarters in the barn. The whole thing isn't a living quarter, just 600 square feet. I didn't even know it, but they have a name for that. It's called a barn dominium, okay? I had no idea. We're just, I just said, I want to live in a barn. And so Debbie and I have been living for the, about a year and a half, a little less, in 600 square feet. Now, how many of you know that that will test your marriage? How many of you know that? Actually, it's been awesome. It doesn't take much to clean. You're, you know, you don't have to move from one room to the next very far, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, but we built it knowing that my dad was coming, and so we moved dad into the barn uh, two weeks ago, and we moved into the house that we built next door. And uh, so, anyway, that's the barn. Now, here's what I learned about barns. Um, I'll, I'll just draw this and you'll see why I'm in preaching and not in architectural. But this is kind of that middle section of the barn. And here's what I've learned in just kind of studying this a little bit. In any building, this building or, or this barn, there's constant pressure to come apart. Constant pressure to come apart. Part of it's called gravity. Anybody familiar with gravity? Uh, yeah, has... Um, <laughs> Does anybody sag up? No, you don't. You sag down. Yeah. It's just pressure, 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 pressure. And then on a, on a building, then there's a roof. And this is constant pressure. In fact, right here is a key place. In fact, as we were building this barn, um, here's, what, here's what they do. Is in order to kind of offset some of the pressure of the roof, on a monitor barn, you've got these sides. They serve a purpose not only for just a little more storage, but they hold this wall up. And what we noticed is, as we were building this, is that the builder actually noticed this, I didn't notice it, that there, just a few centimeters he saw that this was 
moving. It was off level. And so we brought the engineer in. Engineer said, you know, probably it won't move much over time, but have you ever seen old barns that are kind of bowed out like this? It's because of the pressure that comes in. And what we decided to do was put a beam across here. Very crucial beam. And uh, actually it has one up here, but this is the crucial beam. And what that beam does is that beam holds the barn together against the pressure that would cause it to come apart. And they told me, they said, 100 years from now, that barn will be standing. That little bitty barn will be standing because this beam will hold it together. And as I was thinking about that, thinking about the church, did you know that the church, the Bible says that the church is like a building that's being built. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, uh, you can see it on your outline sheet or it'll be on the screen uh, or on your screen if you're watching online. But it says, you also, <clears throat> like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Bible, it uses all kind of metaphors for the church, a metaphor of the body, but this one is a metaphor of a spiritual house. And as a spiritual house, there are all kinds of pressure on the church that, um, that, that cause stress, and it's constant pressure to, to come apart, to tear us apart. Some of those pressures are things like personalities, Personalities test the unity of the church. Is there any one type of personality that just irritates you? Think about that. There it is. I mean, you're not perfect. There it is. <clears throat> it's not the same, it's, it, but it's different than you because you are the balanced of the universe. You're kind of, if everybody was more like you, it'd be better, you know, but there's one type of personality that just tests, and you get one of those in a small group, you get one in church, whatever, you get multiples of them, and it just tests the unity of the church. Um, opinions test the unity of the church. Different opinions, everybody has one. We have multiple opinions. And sometimes, in certain types of churches where they vote on everything, you can have opinions split the church. In fact, I had a guy in the foyer last week that told me, you know what I like about this church? So we don't vote about hardly anything. So we don't, he said, the last church I was in, they voted about everything. Everybody had an opinion and people would leave. And he said, we, the church split over the color of the carpet. And I thought, well, that's why we don't have carpet. You know, it's just like, <laughs> but, but opinions can divide a church. Politics can test the unity of the church. You can see that. I mean, people post things on Facebook. I, I was watching this week. There are people in our church that posted, if you don't like so-and-so, or if you voted for so-and-so, defriend me. And I'm thinking, really? Is that what Jesus would do? I mean, would Jesus say that that's the tone that Jesus would have? I mean, go figure. I'm hoping to stir you up a little bit today, okay? I'm hoping to make you just a little bit mad. I don't care who you are, just a little tiny bit, and then we're gonna bring it together at the end for unity. How's that? Is that fair? Is that fair? I'm not here for a popularity contest. I'm here to pastor you through a difficult time in our country, okay? So politics can divide the church and can test the unity of the church. Racial tension tests the unity of the church. Sin tests the unity 
of the church. And that's why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to study today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, because it's passages, I think, written 2,000 years ago that could have been written this week for today and for our country, for our church. And here's what it says in verse 3. In fact, I want us to read this out loud together. In the campuses, uh, online, wherever you are, let's read this out loud, out loud, whatever. Let's do it out loud, okay? <laughs> Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How, how much effort are we to make? Every effort, especially in times like this. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And here's the question. How do we do that? How do we do that? I mean, in the divided world that we live in, the divided country that we live in, the politics, all of the stuff going on, what does every effort look like? And here's even a bigger question. How can the church make a difference? See, we're in a series right now, three weeks. It's not gonna be three weeks about politics. This is gonna be the only week. But we're in a series about one of our values. Our church has four key values. The first one is no God. The second one is grow in your faith. The third one is uh, discover your purpose. And the fourth one is make a difference. And we're gonna talk about how we can make a difference in the church, in the world, or in the community, and then in the world. And uh, I, I believe that the church is uniquely positioned right now that this can be a great day for the church as we learn to make a difference. And so I wanna talk to you about how can we stick together when the pressure is pulling us apart. What can we do? And so we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. Let's look at verse one. Here's what it says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Can you say calling together? Calling. Worthy of the calling that you have received. Did you know what? If you're a believer, you've received a calling. Did you know that? A lot of people are confused about that. What is my calling? What is the thing that I'm supposed to do? I understand that. Legitimate question. And they're talking about the thing they'll be remembered for. You know, at your funeral, they'll get up and they'll say, well, she was or he was. And there's this one thing, oftentimes, that's a common theme. And that's what they did. But here's what I, a lot of people go looking for that, looking for that, looking for that. And actually, that usually sneaks up on you while you're fulfilling the general calling that God has for all of us, okay? And he has a calling for you right now in this time. And his calling is this. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are, you are a part of a, of, a, of a community. You're a holy people, a nation. You're a kingdom, a kingdom. You know, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, I just am, I, I had nothing to do with it. Born in Oklahoma, not Arizona, what does it matter? <laughs> That's old. Um, grew up in Colorado, and by the grace of God, I'm now a South Carolinian, and I love it here. I'm a you know, regular advertisement for you know, the, this area, I just love it, I call it paradise, I love it. But this is not my primary allegiance. My primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. 
I am a part of a kingdom that is greater than any kingdom that has ever existed or will ever exist. It's a kingdom that will last forever. It's a kingdom that's led by Almighty God. I am a son and you are a daughter of Almighty God. That's your calling. And Jesus says, you're to be, that's, that's a good place to clap. I think that's all right. And Jesus said, you're to walk worthy of your calling. You're to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. You're to be uh, merchants of hope to the hopeless. You're to be merciful and meek. You're to be salt and light in a thirsty and dark world. One of the songs that we sing, I love, says, we are people who are loved by God. That's who we are. And he says, every day of your life, you wake up. You're not a Clemson fan. You're not primarily a Gamecock fan. You're not a Democrat. You're not a Republican. You're not black. You're not white. You're not Hispanic. You are a child of God, okay? You need to understand that. We are children of the living God. Walk worthy of your calling. You guys are bringing the preach out of me. And so, and, and there's not only an individual calling, but we have a calling as a church. You know, every church isn't alike, and they don't need to be, or else we just, you know, we wouldn't have so many. Why do we have so many churches? People say, well, they all split and all that. There can be that, but even God uses some of that from time to time. It's because there are so many different types of people. Let me tell you what this church is called to. Uh, 28 years ago, we said, we want to be a church, and we don't want to just hang up a shingle and you know, just be another church and gather people from other churches. That happens sometimes. People come and go. But that's not our primary mission. Our primary mission is to be a church that reaches people who are far from God and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. And we've been intentional about that for years. Let me tell you what else we're trying to be intentional about. We never wanted to be a church that was just a, a, a single, like, ethnic group, a single voting block, a single way of seeing things. There are lots of churches that are like that. You can go to a church, at stone's throw anywhere around wherever you live. You walk in, everybody's the same color. They like the same music. They vote the same way in the, uh, in the, in the voting booth. And I'm not saying that's terrible. There are some reasons for that. But that's not the church you're sitting in, okay? That is not the church you're sitting in. We have been intentional over the years to be a church that is a wide tent. We got a prophetic word from God when we first started the church that said, enlarge the stakes of your tent from Isaiah. Pastor Ron Hamilton at the West Campus who kind of moves in that kind of stuff said it, and we have enlarged our tent, enlarged our tent, enlarged. That's made some people a little uncomfortable over the years. Goodness, it makes me uncomfortable. Because that's a, that's a messy place to be. If you want to be in a, in a less messy church, go where everybody thinks just like you do. But when it's, when it's a broad tent, and by the way, I think it looks a little bit more like heaven when it's a broad tent. But when it's a broad tent, it's messy, it's challenging, especially in times like this. But the word says, live worthy of your calling. 
We, we, we wanna, we, we're a church that that's, would never shy away from the gospel. We're prophetic enough to speak into what's wrong in the world, but loving enough to recognize that we are all simultaneously sinners and saints. Do you get that? Saved by his grace, empowered by his spirit, and gifted to serve. Live worthy of your calling. And then he says, in the next two verses, verses, uh, or actually verse two, he gives us, how, how can you do that? How, how can you be a church that pulls together when everything else is pushing us apart? Three keys, they're very simple. How do you know simple is not easy? Okay, simple is just simple, but it can be hard. And what we're gonna talk about is probably gonna be a little bit hard, but it's who God's called us to be. First thing he says is to be completely humble and gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. How do you do that? Do you know anybody who is completely humble and gentle? You know, I was thinking about the opposite of that. The opposite of completely humble and gentle is completely arrogant and abrasive. That's easier to point out. Do you know anybody that's completely arrogant and abrasive? <laughs> Don't point. <laughs> See, I think a characteristic of somebody who's completely humble and gentle is that they're always learning. They don't know it all. You know, do you know any know-it-alls? I mean, that, that, that's not. No, somebody that's completely humble and gentle is always learning. They don't know what they don't know. How do you know that you can learn from anybody if you ask the right questions? Okay? And so, and so they're always learning, 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 learning. And I think in today's environment, that's really important because we do a lot of telling, 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 telling. We need to learn. I think nowhere in our country, it, nowhere is our country more divided and can use the church to lead in humility and gentleness than, than in this issue of racism. I think that's one of the big ones. Uh, as soon as this election's over and all this stuff's over and, and uh, whatever, the focus of the world is gonna be on Charleston because there's two major trials right now, both dealing with racism. Uh, one of them, uh, a policeman who uh, shot um, an African-American man not far from our Dream Center. That trial's going on right now. What's gonna happen if it doesn't come out the way that you think it should? It's gonna test, it's gonna test our, it's gonna test our unity of our city, our churches, of our state. The other one is, uh, is the trial of a young man who uh, went into a church and killed nine African-American church members on a Wednesday night. The focus of the world is on us right now. How are we going to respond? How do we deal with the issue of racism? I, I think, personally, we can't sweep it under the rug and pretend that it doesn't exist. We just can't do that. I think we've gotta have conversations. Only conversations with humility and gentleness will take us forward. And that's why, I, really, I think this is a great time that we can shine and we can, we can be a, a beacon to the world. So, a few weeks ago, we had an all-staff meeting. <clears throat> we have those every month, and we have them usually right here in Charleston, and we bring all of our staff from all the different campuses. We have 12 or 13 campuses uh, out there. I say 12 or 13, I never know exactly what it is. I think it's 13, but anyway, uh, <laughs> which one doesn't matter? That's what you're asking right now. <laughs> Do we matter? 
Yes, you matter. But uh, so we bring all the staff in, and usually we'll have a worship time together, then Josh or myself will do a teaching uh, on leadership. And uh, this past month, we decided to do it differently. We, uh, we decided to do TED Talks. Are you guys familiar with TED Talks? It's these little talks that are, you know, are anything from seven minutes to 10 minutes, whatever. And what we did is we had the staff vote on who they wanted to hear from, and it could not be one of the teaching team. And so they voted on eight or nine people uh, to get up and do uh, like a seven-minute TED Talk. And when Lynn Stroy gave her talk, it totally wiped me out. And so I want to give you just the first, like, four minutes of her talk. Take a look at this. What are you hiding? What is the thing that you are hiding? A hurt, an insecurity, something that maybe had the biggest impact on your life, but you don't talk about it ever? My one prayer is that we would be bold in facing our fears. But the thing is, most of the time, we wouldn't say that we're hiding something, and we certainly wouldn't label that thing as a fear. We label it something benign. We say it's water under the bridge. We downplay its effect on us, or we even rationalize that keeping silent about it is really us being strong. And I say all of those things because that's my story. And you wouldn't know it because I've spent 30 years hiding and shrinking back and not confronting the one thing that's hurt me the deepest. When I was in first grade, my friend and I were playing on the playground, and her big sister came up to her and said, I'm going to tell on you when we get home. And she started crying. She was crying because she was doing the one thing she was told not to do, play with a black kid. So at six years old, I became aware of my skin. And not in some ridiculous way. I knew my skin was brown. I knew her skin was white. I see color. We all see color. I just didn't know until that moment that it mattered. So when I was in first grade, I learned that I was black and that people wouldn't like me because of it. When I was in sixth grade, I was walking to the cafeteria and there were a group of black kids standing to the left of the door going into the cafeteria and they started calling out to me. Why do you talk like a white girl? You're a white girl, you think you're white. And that was the day that the bullying started and it kept going every day for three years. And I am not exaggerating when I say every single day for three years, in the hallway, in the locker room, on the walk to and from school. In middle school, I learned that I wasn't black enough. And so for the rest of my life, every new situation I have with racism, it's just reinforced that fear that I had. That thing inside of me that said, I'm not good enough, people aren't gonna like me, I don't fit in. A few years ago, I was at lunch with some friends, and they all love the Lord. And the white guy sitting next to me, he looks over at me, and he says, Hey, Lynn, you know white guys love black girls with your skin complexion. And you want to know what I did? I sat there in silence. I didn't speak up. Because every time I confronted that fear in my life and it reinforced what I felt, I was crippled. I was crippled by fear. And I stayed silent. And we know that those things that I learned, they're lies. They're lies. One version of Psalm 139 says, I am skillfully wrought, 
skillfully wrought. Those words are so powerful in describing how intentional God was when he formed me. His masterpiece created in Christ to do the good things that he planned long before Lynn was Lynn or America was America or earth even existed. But knowing that doesn't matter. Saying that to myself over and over every day to fight back the lies that I've been believing doesn't matter if I don't do something with it. Because truth is ineffective if you don't do something with it outside of yourself. Wow, that's good. That's good. So I heard that. I thought I had no idea. Lynn works 20 feet from me. Her office is next to mine. I got up later that day and I walked down to her office and I said, Lynn, we gotta talk. You gotta help me understand who you are and you gotta drop the flag every once in a while when maybe I say things that are insensitive to who you are and your experience. See, I've never experienced a moment as a kindergartner or first grader at school when I noticed that I was different. Because I wasn't. I grew up in a white neighborhood. Everybody looked like me. I don't know her experience. I'm gonna know her experience. Here's what I'm gonna challenge you to do. If, if, we're, gonna, if we're gonna make a dent in these issues in our community, in our church, in our nation, in our world, We've got to be completely humble and gentle and take the position of a learner. So I'm gonna challenge you to do something. It's homework, it's homework right now. Okay, we're back in school, it's homework. I'm gonna challenge everybody in this church to sometime this week or next, take 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, and I want you to sit down with, have a cup of coffee, whatever, sit down with somebody around you in your circle who's different than you. They may look different than you. They may have a different skin color. Sexually, they may be di on a different page than you are. Politically, they may have voted different or they might even be a Clemson fan. <laughs> I want you to sit down with them and I want you to have a conversation. And I don't want the conversation to be, let me fix you. I want the conversation to be, what can I learn from you? And I want everybody to do it. I want, if you're... In any category, I want you to do it. And then here's what I'd like you to do is report back to me on it, okay? Report back to me. Email pastorgreg at seacoast.org and tell me what your experience was. Pastorgreg at seacoast.org. Here's what I don't wanna hear from you. I don't wanna hear your politics because I don't care. I've heard all the politics I care to hear in the last year and a half, okay? That's just me. I don't care, don't wanna hear it. I wanna hear what did Jesus say to you, okay? How did it go? What are you learning? Is that fair enough? So the first thing is that if we're going to, to keep from the pressure tearing the spiritual house apart, we've gotta be completely humble and gentle. Next two won't take as long. You gotta be patient. You gotta be patient, he says. I want you to be patient. Where do you learn patience? In the way, yeah, children. In the, in the, it's true. In the waiting lines of life is generally where you learn patience, is in the waiting lines of life. Chicago Cubs fans know this. <laughs> you knew I'd bring up the Cubs, didn't you? I mean, I haven't been up since they, I was in Europe. I, I, I'd, go to, I'd go to work at seven in the morning, 
till 10.30 at night because there's a conference and all kinds of stuff. And then have to watch the Cubs from midnight until four and the second night was until 5.30. I pulled two all-nighters. I haven't done that since college. I feel good about myself. <laughs> but we've waited. I thought about what do you learn from waiting? What does waiting do? Waiting, first of all, exposes your character. It doesn't build your character. Waiting doesn't build anything. It exposes what's already in there. It exposes your character. All right, so I'm in Europe. And I travel a lot. I'm traveling today. I'm going to uh, Oklahoma City to do a thing for, uh, for a group of church planners. And, um, and, so, and so I know how to travel. I carry a carry-on. I put the right things in it. I almost never get stopped at security. Now, having said that, I probably will. But I almost never get stopped at security. The only times are those random checks. You know what I mean? Well, in Europe, they look for different things. You leave your shoes on, but there's other stuff that you got to do when you fly. And I wasn't as familiar with it. I got flagged. You know, I had the wrong size stuff and things packed in the wrong way. And they, they set up front, be sure that you, you know, you, that you do the right things because it's going to take 30 minutes to clear security if you get flagged. Now, what I found out is that it did take 30 minutes. It didn't have to. They just did it punitively so that next time that you would do it right, which irritated me, but whatever. So, so there's about five of us that are in line that got flagged and we're waiting. And so I get up to the front and they open up my suitcase and they say, this is too big, you can't have this, this isn't packed right, da 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 unpack the whole thing. The guy behind me says, you know what, if you'd follow the rules, you wouldn't hold up all the other passengers. I turn and I said, excuse me? And so he said it again. If you'd follow the rules, you wouldn't hold up all the other passengers. For just a split second, I reverted to B.C. Greg, before Christ. <laughs> My ears turned red. I wanted to say this. I wanted to say, you know I'm from Charleston, South Carolina. We're voted the most polite city in America. Your accent tells me you're from another culture. You know? Really what I wanted, it, this came almost to my lips. It did come to my lips. It was like, ooh, and it came back in. <laughs> Here was what was on my lips. If you'd like to step outside, I'll give you a proper response to what you just said. <laughs> and then I thought, how stupid. Seacoast pastor spends the night in London jail. <laughs> what did waiting do? It exposed some areas of my character that needed to be dealt with. You may be in a waiting line right now and you relate to what I just said. It not, not only it does that, but it tests your resolve. You're not tempted to quit when you're moving forward, are you? It's when you're waiting. I'm just gonna quit. The Bible says there's a time to quit. There's a time to start, a time to quit. There's a time for everything. But usually it's not when you think it is and certainly it's not just because you're tired of waiting. You're gonna quit. Can't make a difference with one foot in, one foot out. And the third thing we learn from uh, being patient and waiting is it sweetens the, the arrival. We learned that from the Cubs. The prize is sweeter when you have to wait for it. 108 years, and we now have a 
World Series, who cares, huh? James 1.4 says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's what God wants for us. He wants us as a church to be completely gentle and humble, and he wants us to be complete in him and to be patient with the people around us who don't see life like we do, okay? And then the third thing he says is bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. So I was thinking about this one. I thought, I thought this. You've got to be with someone to bear with them. Would you agree with that? You've got to be with someone to bear with someone. See, is there, is there somebody that you need to be with that you've been avoiding because of a misunderstanding or maybe a political post on Facebook or a word that was said in anger? Here's God's word to you. You've got to be with them in order to bear with them. Or is there somebody that isn't moving as quickly as you are and you've left them behind and you should be slowing down and bearing with them in love? You gotta be with somebody to bear with somebody. Is there somebody that could benefit from your attention at a critical time in their development but you're too busy doing the important things in life? You've gotta be with somebody in order to bear with somebody. You can't just mail these things in. Life change happens when you've got some skin in the game. It happens all the time around here. What's, what's great about this? You know, how, do you change, how do you change a country? Well, you start with yourself. And then you change the people around you. And then you begin to make a difference in the church. And then you begin to make a difference in the community and ultimately in the world. And there are so many opportunities to make a difference in the church. It happens all the time around here. It's John and Vanessa Coker, my friends who, who went through the pain of losing a son. And they came to Jesus and they got some help and decided to bear with people in love who are going through the same pain they went through. And now they lead grief chair and have helped hundreds of people going through pain. It's a Fred and Terry Reed who go through a difficult stretch in their marriage. They get some help, come to Jesus, and they, they begin a ministry here that's a national ministry, but it's new here, called Reengage, to bear with and love people who are struggling in relationship and helped hundreds of people. It's Sandra Connell, Sandy, who volunteers with a group of elementary school girls, deciding to follow them all the way from elementary school through high school. She's gonna be their small group leader, bearing with them in love through the critical junctions of their life. Why do I mention her? Because over the last couple of years, and I see a dad right over here, I've, I've gone to a hospital with two different families who their, their daughters are going through some difficult physical things, and the common denominator was Miss Sandy, <laughs> who'd been their small group leader from the time they were this big, and and, and, and are going with them. And I, I thought, they're making a difference, bearing with. It's Paul Bolte who knows what it feels like to be new to the church, even new to a country, and decides to serve in the inside track, our connecting point, bearing with people in similar circumstances and helping them get connected to a local church. It's a group of people who said, we know what it feels like to be unemployed, Let's bear with people in love in similar circumstances. So they started something called Restart that has helped hundreds of people find their way in a difficult economic time. What I would say is, is there anything more important in life 
than making a difference in somebody else's life. I don't think so. And it starts in the local church. In fact, in your bulletin, there's this little card. Get it out real quick. It uh, says, make a difference in the church. And uh, we wanna make it easy for you. We wanna make it easy for you to make a difference in the church. It's, on the back it says dream team. You can join a dream team and serve in any area that God has gifted you or maybe you don't know if God's gifted you yet but you wanna try something. We wanna help you do that. And so take that and whatever campus you're at, uh, take it to the information table in the lobby, maybe during response time or after the service is over. It's a great opportunity to serve alongside people who maybe don't look like you or think like you or vote like you did. So if we wanna hold together, when everything's telling us apart, we gotta be completely humble and gentle, patient, bear with one another in love. I, I, I wanna go back to the barn as I close. The key piece to that barn is that, is that piece of wood right there. Now, by itself, that piece of wood is just a piece of wood. Just a piece of wood. Could, could burn, you know, could, somebody could trip over it, whatever. But when it's in its proper position, it helps to hold that barn together when the pressure is coming from everywhere. And I would say to you, are you just a piece of wood that maybe makes people trip over because of attitudes or things said or whatever? Are you choosing to be a beam that holds together, that keeps at every cost, does everything to keep the unity of the church? unity of the spiritual family. You know, I see Jesus in that beam. Um, in Colossians 1.15, says the Son of Man is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him and he is before all things. And in him he does what? He holds the spiritual house together. He holds all things together. But it's bigger than that. It's about you. It's about you and it's about me. Let me show you a couple of beams here and you wondered why they were here. This beam is really a cool beam, okay? This is a cool beam. If you could see it up close, it's hand hewn. In other words, they, they did it all by hand. And a friend of mine gave me this. This beam came out of the Hershey Chocolate Factory warehouse in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It's an old beam, they don't use it anymore, but it's cool, and what I did is, I've got three or four of these, and I uh, stained them, or not stained them, but polyurethane them, and they're in my new house. Now, they aren't holding anything up, because these beams aren't good for that anymore. They look good, but they're not really that useful. Do you know anybody like that? Okay. <laughs> this beam doesn't look as good, but this is a piece of the beam that holds the barn together. And they use these these days. This one is so much stronger than this one. This one right here has some blemishes, some places, got a hole here. You can't see it, but there's a place here. On, there might even be something living in there. I don't know. But this, with the right pressure, this could fall apart. This will never, they, they won't let you use this as a beam these days. You gotta use something like this. This is not as pretty. In fact, we painted it. Nobody will be scavenging through my barn in 100 years to get this. This is a piece of laminated wood. Actually, this one has 15 eighth-inch layers in it. You can't really see it, but they're glued together. And I looked up laminated wood. What makes it so much stronger? 
on this side right here, can you see? There's a, there's a knot hole right here. It's all the way through that layer. That layer by itself isn't that strong. And what laminate does is they put 15 layers together and it covers over the weakness of any individual labor or, or layer. Can you preach that? This is the church. By the Holy Spirit gluing us together and as we make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, this beam which is you and I becomes a beam that holds together not just our church but our communities and our world in difficult, difficult times. These are difficult times. People are hurting, people are excited, people have a lot of different feelings. We're the church. We belong to a different kingdom. We're a picture that the world ought to be able to look inside of here and say, you know what, there's a group of people that don't agree on everything, but they agree on Jesus. And he draws them together. How do you handle the election? If it wasn't what you voted for, grieve it. But at some point, you've got to be obedient to God's word. And you've got to say, you know what? God's word says that we honor those in authority. In fact, it says, give honor to the emperor. The emperor was Nero. Trump ain't that bad. Google it. Look it up. <laughs> Why does God say that? Because it's not about who it is, it's about Jesus. And it's also about our attitude. And our attitudes are tested sometimes when things don't go like we think it should. If, you, if you're just excited about it, why don't you not gloat over that? Because we're the body of Christ and there are some things that are more important than politics or football or whatever it is. We've called, we've been called to walk worthy of our calling. And gang, I believe, you know, that one last scripture, the Bible says that um, we are, Christ in us is the hope of glory. It's not just Christ alone, although I think Christ alone is, could do it all, but he chose not to. He said, it's Christ in us. It's the church that's the hope of glory. Let's be that church. Let's be that church church. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your kingdom. And I thank you that your kingdom comes as we pray. And we're praying right now. We pray for our country. We pray for individuals. We pray for those who perhaps are grieving, mourning. We pray for those who rejoice. But most of all, I pray that we would learn to be humble and completely gentle Talk to one another, see one another, be patient, bear with one another in love. And as we do, you are building a house that is indivisible, a house that is strong, that can stand against any wind, any turmoil, anything, and that ultimately you're coming back for a bride that's without spot or wrinkle. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.